Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens, with your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Now let's join the conversation. Happy to be back with you folks for another week of the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Uh, Neil, Roger, John, myself, Bob. Guys, how are you? Good, Bob. Doing well. How are you, Bob? Good. Always good uh, catching up. Uh, Looking forward to this week's episode. All right. This week, we're going to talk about pluralism. We're going to talk about some basic doctrines of the Christian faith, and specifically this poll, this survey that came out from Probe Ministries, uh, where they asked born-again Christians if non-Christian religions, other religions, can also lead to heaven. Uh, Guys, just under 70% said yes. Now, how do they define born-again Christians? Well, here's the question that people were asked. They were asked, have you ever made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ that is still important in your life today, and you believe that you will go to heaven because you confessed your sins and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? So that's, I think, how your average person would probably define, you know, okay, yeah, you're a Christian, you're a born-again Christian. But of that group, then they were asked, uh, can non-Christian religions, other religions around the world, can they lead to heaven too? Uh, My goodness, 70% saying yes. And I think to myself, Jesus could not have been more clear about this. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The exclusivity of Jesus Christ for salvation was declared by him so many different times in so many different ways. Uh, if you do not believe I'm, believe I'm who I claim to be, you will indeed die in your sins. Uh, warning against false prophets and their destruction. Well, why do we have to be warned about false prophets and their destruction if uh, those false prophets still lead up to the same God ultimately and you still go to heaven? Uh, so to me... This is a very troubling disease that's running through the church right now, uh, this this sense of pluralism that all spiritual paths lead to God. And as long as you have some kind of faith, some kind of spirituality, oh, and you're a good person, uh, those three things combined are pretty much enough to wash you clean of your sins and enter into heaven. Uh, it cheapens what Jesus did on the cross, and it completely violates the truth of God's word. So it is a problem to me. Uh, And as we get ready to go around the table, I guess I want to make sure and stress, we all recognize that there are essentials versus non-essentials in doctrine. Uh, Believers in Christ can agree to disagree on certain things. Eschatology, are you pre-trib, are you post-trib? Okay, baptism methods, a full immersion or sprinkling. Okay, gifts of the Spirit, manifest today or not. Speaking in tongues, yes or no. Uh, Even to a certain extent, creation evolution, although my eye twitches when people think God used evolution, but still. Uh, So I understand there's things we can disagree on and still be believers in Christ, but there are certain things we cannot disagree on. We cannot disagree on the nature of God, the Trinity, uh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Uh, We cannot disagree on the authority of Scripture as God's Word. And I would argue we cannot disagree on, on the exclusivity of salvation through Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Otherwise, that's not Christian. That's a different gospel, as the Apostle Paul warned about. 
So that's kind of my opening rant on this. But I, I'm curious to get uh, everybody's just initial thoughts and take on this. And maybe, Neil, we could start with you. Uh, as a pastor, Neil, what are your thoughts on 70% of born-again Christians saying that non-Christian religions can also lead to eternal salvation? Yeah, well, it's super disheartening, uh, of course, to to think that that many people who would call themselves a born-again Christian would believe such a thing because it runs so contrary to what we know in God's Word. Uh, and there, I guess there's a number of ways we could look at this, and we're going to discuss it you know, top to bottom. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the other guys have to say. But uh, on the other hand, there, one thing I was thinking about as I was kind of chewing on this, like how, how is this possible that people could be so totally deceived? And and then I simply, I guess, landed on the idea that, well, it's Satan is a deceiver. And the, in one sense, this is exactly what scripture says would happen, um, you know, that there'd be a falling away from the faith or that um, that there would be an, a great apostasy in the end times. I mean, some of that may be playing into these kind of numbers that we're seeing. At the same time, um, you know, Jesus, Matthew seven twenty one. not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, there are people who've done great religious things in the name of Jesus who really don't know him at all. Um, Peter was clear, salvation is found in no other name but the name of Jesus, that's Acts chapter 4, uh, I think it's verse 12. But um, I, I guess what I'm getting at here is, in one sense, it's totally shocking and surprising. Like, really? People that call themselves born-again Christians think that there's more ways to God other than Jesus, who himself personally said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus made the ultimate truth claim there, and as you said, Bob, there were other places as well that he said, look, if you're looking for truth, I'm it. If you're looking for a way to God, I'm it. So on the one hand, totally shocking, but on the other hand, maybe not so much because of the idea that, you know, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And I wonder if this is just indicative of the beginning of the revelation of our understanding that there's a whole lot of people who consider themselves Christians, but maybe really aren't. Maybe they've yeah. sort of invented Christianity in their own mind. So I, I think we can talk about that more, but that's one of my initial thoughts. Uh, Roger, I'd love to get your take also as a pastor on this. You know, if you, Roger, on Sunday morning asked your congregation, okay, show of hands, who here believes that you don't really have to accept Jesus to go to heaven? Nobody's going to raise their hands because they're not going to say that with their outside voice because I think they know on paper that's the wrong answer. But right. in an anonymous telephone survey, the truth has a funny way of coming out. And this is what we find, 70%. Now, uh, just a few years ago, there was a survey taken from Pew Research that asked the same question. It was, uh, do, um, can non-Christian religions also lead to eternal salvation? That survey from about, I believe it was seven or eight years ago, had 57% of self-described born-again Christians say yes. I, I won't say this with my outside voice at church, but between us, Yes, I believe people of other religions can also go to heaven. Now that 57% is up to just under 70%. Roger, your initial thoughts. 
Well, my initial thoughts are, I echo Neil's sentiment too. Uh, there's a part of me that's really depressed by that, that's very saddened by the fact that that is in fact the case. At the same time, though, I, I'm not surprised simply because of a couple of things. First and foremost, um, the culture around us does not reinforce a biblical worldview. And I think a lot of people were kind of propped up by the fact that church was revered, the Bible was revered, God was seen as the ultimate standard. And we're talking the God of the Bible, not the God of our own making. And so it was a lot easier for people to, I don't want to say play church, but I mean, I can't think of a better way to describe it. You know, it was something that you did. And, you know, as long as this is working for me and no one ever really challenged people. I mean, I, I was born in 1961, so I know what it was like to grow up during the Jesus People movement, especially here in Southern California, not too far away from uh, Pastor Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel and the Big Tent. And there was a lot of push for evangelism and a pastor who preached and taught the word. But when it came to discipleship, there was a lot of, let's just kind of preach it the way Pastor Chuck does, you know, and, and there were a lot of churches that kind of grew and became big because of that type of discipleship, if you will. Understanding, of course, that the, the road is narrow. I mean, the way is hard to follow the Lord. And, and not saying that they were watering down the gospel per se, but I think there were certain parts of it that weren't necessarily pushed as hard as others. And if you talk to any pastor who's, you know, a worth their weight in terms of uh, integrity they'll tell you flat out the way to grow a big church is don't preach about sin you know preach about how good god is how good you are how good god is to you how much he loves you and can't live without you and people flock to that message of course they do you know with loneliness and isolation you know, running rampant how many people would love to hear that message but the idea that we're you know sinners in the hands of an angry God and he chose to redeem us. Well, I don't want to hear that. You know, I don't want to hear right. that I'm deficient. I mean, that, that doesn't resonate with me. So I'm disappointed that as many people who are saying, yeah, and then you throw in a healthy dose of millennials and Generation Z who've been told to cooperate, do group projects, and nobody's bad and nobody's wrong and nobody's horrible, and everybody gets a trophy, and next thing you know, I mean, sure, you <laughs> can make the, 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 the pluralistic case, and, and I think what George Barnett calls the, the synchronistic case of, you know, the smorgasbord Christianity. I'm going to take some of this, and I'm going to take some of Buddha, and I'm going to take some of karma, and I'm going to take some of that, and that's my biblical worldview. But if I identify as one, it's as a Christian. And we, there's a lot of untangling for us in the in the true church to actually do with people who have that belief. Right. Uh, let's take a short break, and then we'll get John's take uh, as we continue this National Crawford Roundtable. Be transformed by the Word of God with Alistair Begg and Truth for Life. Every weekday, Alistair Begg teaches the Bible through in-depth, verse-by-verse attention to the Word of God. You can listen to Truth For Life on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or listen online at truthfullife.org. Please support this important ministry with your donations at the truthfullife.org website or by calling 888-588-7884 and be sure to let them know you heard about Truth For Life from the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast with, of course, Neil Boron, Roger Marsh, myself, Bob Duco, John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado. Uh, okay, John, we heard from the two pastors, uh, from mm -hmm. Neil and Roger, okay? You and I are laymen, brothers in smart. Christ. Yeah, I know exactly. We're, we, we, if we, only we could live up to the standard of these guys oh, on their yeah. pedestals, exactly. okay? Uh, but what is what is your take as a as a believer in Christ to seventy percent of self described born again Christians uh, refusing to accept that Jesus is really truly the only way? Not shocked. I I know that's going to probably shock you guys, but no, not yeah. shocked. Uh, you know, we talk about some of the stuff on such a routine basis in regards to, and I'm 
trying not to be critical of the church, but literally, guys, this does come back down to what's coming out of the church, what comes out of the pulpit, what are we doing in small groups, what are we doing in Sunday schools, things like that. I mean, the reality is that this should not even be a question. To your point, Bob, the three tenets, you know, the blood of Christ is the only way, uh, you know, is salvation, and his blood sacrifice is the only way. Scripture is infallible, and it's our guidebook to everything we do, and the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you don't have those three, you're not making it. It's that simple, guys, and, and I know I sound probably harsher than our pastors, but if you're out there thinking that just because you're a good person, or you're a Muslim, or you're a good Jew, or you're a good this, or you're a good that, the reality is Scripture's very clear, guys. There, there are no exceptions to this. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that's where, to me, a lot of what Roger just said a moment ago, I think is where people get into, into trouble. They've been raised in such a way, and even the church has watered down things to the point where you can't step on toes anymore. You can't upset the apple cart. you got to make sure you do everything correctly to make sure that everybody's happy at the end of the day. And the reality is Christ made a lot of people unhappy every day. And, and the gospel itself can be very damning, if you would, and can be very confrontational and very rude, I guess you could say at times, because there's no leeway in this particular area that we're talking about. And because of that, it can be very offensive to certain people. But it is what it is. And I'm not going to apologize for that, because even though, and Roger said, a lot of people don't want to hear about the angry God Almighty, but that angry God Almighty was so loving that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and had a separation from him for a point in time, which had to be agony on both sides of the fence. We don't talk about God's agony. We only talk about Christ's agony. But you know there was agony on both sides of that aisle. And the reality is, yet he was, he, you know, he was angry with us for the sin and what we've become as mankind, and yet sent his own son to die on the cross for our sins, the most loving ultimate sacrifice you could ever make for another person. He did that for us, and that's the only way to get to heaven. Right, absolutely. Well, let me, uh, Roger, I want to get your take on something here that as we were talking about, first of all, Jesus, he made it clear that this is supposed to be happening. We should not be surprised. And you guys are right. There's nothing to be surprised about here. Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he even find faith? Uh, We know that there's supposed to be this, this big falling away, if you will. But what's happening is, uh, People say, are we in a post-Christian society? Well, yes and no. It depends on how you define Christianity. If we're talking about authentic biblical Christianity, then yeah, we're post-Christian. But what's happening is our culture is saying, we don't want to throw Jesus out and say we reject him. So what we'll do is we'll just redefine him. We'll redefine the gospel. We'll create our own version of Christianity that feels good to us. And we'll call that Christianity so we can believe what we want to believe, turn God into who we want him to be instead of who he really is, and then still call ourselves Christians. And it's Dangerous, and it seems to me, Roger, that this is a this is a product of of what I would call the idolatry of self. That that what we're doing, it, everything is me centered, and that includes our doctrine. So, why do people say I don't believe Jesus is the only way? Truth is, because it just doesn't seem fair. To me, it doesn't seem fair to me that a Muslim or a Hindu or a Buddhist or a New Age or a nice person or whatever, uh, that they would be deserving of hell and that you have to accept Jesus Christ. And that doesn't seem that people in other countries and other religions around the world doesn't seem like they got a fair chance to really understand who Jesus is. And so therefore, rather than accepting the narrow truth of 
Jesus Christ. Instead, it's like, let's just widen it and broaden it because it makes me feel better. And this sense of twisting God into something that conforms to our own sensibilities, I just think is a very self-centered, self-driven way to to view God. They, people don't want to accept that we are all sinners, that none of us are qualified for heaven on our own. We just don't want to accept that. And I, I think people need to get over themselves and realize, guess what? It's not about you. It's about God. He made you. You didn't make him. He's right. You're wrong, not the other way around. Yeah, you know, and that, that whole thing, that's one place where we really contort. I think sin really messes us up, is the fact that because we're made in the image of God, a lot of people think that, okay, that that means I am God, you know, and God wants me to be happy, as opposed to saying, no, wait, I'm, I'm a reflection of God, his handiwork, his creation, but I'm also a reflection of his love for me, because while I was still a sinner, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, to those classic passages from Romans 3 and 5, the, the whole idea that, that we can somehow be good on our own doesn't work and yet we live in a self-made quote-unquote culture and society we get to define who we are we get to kind of make our own path and blaze our own trail and so the idea of, of everyone having to fall before the cross and say look i'm i'm a sinner i'm guilty i mean lord have mercy on me as a sinner i i do and he did and the fact that there's nothing you could do about it the word does the work and the blood does the work and everything that jesus christ did for us on the cross is the means of salvation that it's so counter to our kind of American Western brains where it's like, look, if I'm going to make something out of myself, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and, you know, build my own business and, and blaze my own trail. And so the idea that there are people now who are, have kind of conflated the two um, isn't surprising, but it really is an indictment to what John said, too. What's coming out of the pulpit? I mean, what what are we doing in terms of the, the way the church operates? I, I saw a uh, a meme the other day from a, uh, a mainline denominational group and they were talking about all the great charitable works that they do and they said because after all we're a Matthew 25 church and so I, I went wait Matthew 25 okay there's three different you know parables in Matthew 25 you know you've got the wise and foolish virgins well I, I, that, that doesn't apply and then you've got the parable of the bags of gold the talents no that doesn't apply but then there's the you know the, the the sheep and the goats and you know I was hungry and you gave me food and blah 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 and I thought okay well they're kind of a social justice church as I dug into the tenets of this denomination what they believe they ordain homosexual pastors they believe in same-sex marriage quote-unquote they don't have any ethical standards when it comes to that type of thing and I thought well now wait a minute how do you call yourself a Matthew 25 church if you're doing all these things in Jesus name and rejecting about half of what the gospel is really all about I mean you're you're condoning certain sin and you're condemning other sin and I realize we have to be accountable to the full gospel I mean not just the parts that we like and so you can see where people can get very passionate about you get surrounded by other people who all believe and you know the same way you do and think the way you the same do the same way you do and next thing you know you've created a whole what you think is the true church and how many different denominations are saying well we're the true church because we're the catholic church we're the presbyterian church we're the whatever it is church instead of saying what what is the church universal first and foremost i mean catholic with a little c you know everybody for different tribes different tongues different nations you know i think of our brothers and sisters right now in afghanistan are we surprised that there's so much persecution going on there because it's a hotbed of spiritual activity i mean people are coming to faith in record numbers there and so it's no surprise that the u.s pulling out because of ungodly leadership left everybody lying on the ground i mean but we have the discernment to see that and see what's going on 
and the world doesn't. And it's an uncomfortable gospel, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it isn't good for us. I mean, it's uncomfortable in the same way that you go in for cancer treatment and they say you're going to have surgery or chemo or whatever it is because you've got sin ravaging your body and you say, okay, great, let's let's do it. I mean, because this this life is but a vapor. This is a blade of grass. I mean, this is, this is so temporary compared to the eternal reality of heaven with the Lord. Um, and the fact that we're just kind of kind of sifting out a few of the people who don't have it right, it's hard to watch, but it's a great reminder that it, there there is value in preaching to the choir as well as taking the gospel to the whole world. So true. Another short break. We'll pick it up from there next here on the National Crawford Roundtable. Dr. James Dobson left a successful career in academia to preserve and promote the biblical family in America. The radio broadcasting ministry of Dr. Dobson spans over four decades, earning him 17 honorary doctorate degrees and an induction into the National Radio Hall of Fame. Today, Dr. Dobson continues to champion marriage and parenthood through Family Talk. Listen every weekday at drjamesdobson.org and be sure to reference the National Crawford Roundtable podcast when asked how you listen to Family Talk. Continuing this National Crawford Roundtable podcast, Neil Boron, Roger Marsh, John Rush, myself, Bob Duco, talking about this poll showing 70% of born-again Christians say that other religions can lead to heaven as well. Uh, Neil, let me ask you, as a uh, as a pastor also, as Roger is, how do you how do you get people to swallow that bitter pill that... All of us are sinners. None of us are qualified for heaven on our own because what makes people feel good today, including people calling themselves Christians, is this belief that heaven is basically the default reward for being a good person. If sinners are nice to other sinners, then that somehow means that you are qualified for heaven. And this notion that everybody is basically qualified for hell is a really difficult pill for people to swallow. But we, we of course, need to recognize this because otherwise it's not about God and his glory and his mercy and his grace and his free gift. It becomes about us earning something. The only way to make it about God and his mercy is if all of us are disqualified for heaven on our own. Therefore, it completely depends on his sacrifice and free gift of salvation through Jesus' shed blood. Uh, but my goodness, Neil, we don't get that today. People, even Christians, believe that heaven should be a deserved reward if you're a good enough person, if you will, and nice enough horizontally to other humans. How do we get them to swallow the the bitter pill of the truth that none of us are qualified on our own? Well, uh, maybe reading the Bible would help. Um, oh, that. There's that. <laughs> you know, I mean, the word is clear. There's none righteous, not even one. Uh, Roger mentioned Romans 3.23. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I think the other thing is to just look at the issue of, um, you know, salvation itself. And like, well, let me, let me back up for a minute. Adam and Eve fell. I mean, they sinned. They were separated from God and deserving of death at that point. There was only two humans on the planet at that moment, and both of them were unqualified for heaven. So God began his redemption plan, honestly, right there in that moment, you know, when he's, when he uh, fashioned some garments for them from an animal and began to demonstrate his grace in that very moment. I think that, that, that what, what's interesting is that they had covered, they knew, they knew about their sin at that point. They knew they were separated from God. Something had changed. So they're trying to cover themselves with fake leaves. God steps in and says, 
let me let me take care of this for you. In other words, salvation isn't going to be found in you. It's going to be found in me. But but isn't it interesting that this idea that somehow we can save ourselves or that we ourselves could be qualified for heaven leaves so much personal responsibility on us. In other words, it, it to me it strikes at the heart of what happened in the garden in the first place is that you know Adam and Eve believed the lie of the serpent that they could be like God. And isn't that the ultimate sin of, of all of us all the time is that we think we know better than God, like we think we ought to be God because maybe we could do a better job or something? So at the heart of this rebellion against God is the idea that we think maybe he got it wrong somehow, that we know better than him. And, you know, when I've, whenever I think about that, I just i am reminded of John, you know, 3, 16, 17, and 18, and everyone knows 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. 17 says a lot about why God sent Jesus. Um, tells us the exact reason. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Who's the world? That's everybody. So that everybody could be saved through him. But John three eighteen says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's only begotten Son. What does that mean? That means that all of us are lost. In, in other words, all of us are floating in the middle of the ocean. The Titanic sunk. We're all going to die. We're floating in the middle of the ocean. Only a middle, matter of time till hyperthermia takes control and we all die or we get eaten by sharks. But, but either way, there's no hope. And then Jesus shows up as the lifeboat. And he doesn't come to drown people. He comes to rescue people. And the invitation is for all of mankind to be saved. Uh, but but what keeps them from being saved? In other words, a Buddhist can be saved, a Muslim can be saved, an atheist can be saved, somebody who grew up in a Christian church who's never surrendered to Christ can be saved. What keeps anybody from responding in that moment? Simply pride. No, that's, you're not the Savior. Yeah, You may be in the boat and we're dying here in the middle of the ocean, but I'm not going to believe in you. And it's that prideful rejection of God, ultimately, that keeps people from being saved. They don't have to be lost. They already are. They already are. We, we're all lost until Jesus comes and rescues us and we put our faith and trust in him. So, I don't know, I think it, and the other thing, just I'll just say this quickly, but I think it's really good news that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Why is that good news? Because, because we don't have to search the world over and lift up every rock and try to find out where salvation is. It's found in Jesus. It's not complicated. He said, I am the way. And if we would simply come to him, we, we also could be saved. It can't be more loving or kind than that, that he called out. To, there was a, there's a building here in Buffalo. There was a department store called Roses. They had a tremendous fire. It was a place where they sold a lot of like refrigerators and stoves and, you know, kitchen apparel and whatever. And, um, and this fire was so bad that there was a manager trying to rescue people for a while. And then he got disoriented because he was stuck in thick black smoke. And he died of smoke inhalation. When the fire cleared and they found him, he was in the, the doorway, in the airlock between the, the store and outside. He literally was steps away from being saved, but he didn't realize where he was. And, and I just think that there's so many people who are so close to being saved, but simply won't admit that Jesus was right when he said, I am the way. So right. it's a tragic situation. So true. I'll tell you what, we're coming up on the bottom of the hour. Folks, you can listen to the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable podcast by going online to crawfordmediagroup.net or wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. We welcome your five-star reviews. But we're going to continue this conversation, and we'll talk about 
the people of other religions around the world, okay, are they getting the short end of the stick? Are they not getting a fair chance, if you will? And what about people that are really good, that sweet little old lady who never heard a fly, okay, uh, she deserves hell? How do we process stuff like this? We're going to continue discussing this very difficult issue as we continue this National Crawford Roundtable podcast next. This has been a Crawford Broadcasting production. Continuing the second half of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with myself, Bob Duco out of Detroit, John Rush of Rush to Reason from Denver, Colorado, Roger Marsh from the bottom line of the People's Republic of California, Neil Boron of Neil Boron Live from Buffalo, New York. We're talking about this poll that just came out recently, Probe Ministries poll, showing that nearly 70% of born-again Christians say that Jesus isn't really the only way to be saved. You can belong to different religions and you can still go to heaven. Well, that is just flat out false. Jesus himself declared that he is the only way. But a growing number of self-described Christians are rewriting scripture to basically fit what feels right to them because it doesn't seem fair that people of other religions shouldn't be able to go to heaven. And it doesn't seem fair that that nice, sweet little old lady isn't a, quote, good enough person to go to heaven. And, you know, guys, one of the word picture analogies that I've used many times when, when people try to, when they have difficulty understanding that even the nicest person on planet Earth is not qualified for heaven on their own. Uh, the example that I use, and John, I want to throw this over to you, but I, I, I use a couple of glasses of water. If I gave you two glasses of water and each one of them were clean, purified water, uh, and in one of the glasses of water, I dump in a quarter of a cup of cow urine, and that, that represents sin. And then the other cup, I just take an eyedropper and drop, 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 just put in five little eyedropful, just five little drops of cow urine. And I mix them both up and I hand both glasses to you. Which one are you going to drink out of? You're going to say, neither one. I say, but why? This one only has just five little drops of cow urine in it. The other one has a quarter of a cup. You're going to say, I don't care. Bottom line, you've ruined them mm -hmm. both. They both are now disqualified for drinking. They both now deserve to go down the very same drain. Uh, and what we got to get, John, is that we're comparing our sin to other sinners' sin and making ourselves good when other sinners are our point of reference. But if God is our point of reference, a holy, perfect, righteous God, then we realize even the littlest amount of sin, relatively speaking, is an offense to a righteous God. None of us are deserving of heaven. And somehow we got to get that through the thick heads of a lot of people that call themselves Christian. Uh, agree, and I think a lot of that does go back to what Roger said as we opened up the conversation. You know, we've got this whole, you know, mentality now of, you know, everybody's good, <clears throat> everybody's a winner, nobody can fail, everybody gets a trophy. You know, you combine all of that and that whole entire, you know, mentality, and 
Guys, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is here other than it has to start from the church and the pulpit and the leaders in the church itself, uh, you know, giving the right message and, and saying exactly what you said a moment ago, Bob. You know, God is so righteous and so holy that it's the reason why that separation between he and his son happened on the cross at Calvary is because God can't be in the presence of sin. It just doesn't work that way. And that's I think that's the thing that people don't understand. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he sent his son to die on the cross for us. But the reality is he is so holy that he cannot accept that, will not accept it. So you cannot have sin in your life that's not covered by the blood of Christ and make it to heaven. It's that simple, guys. This is yeah, not it, a hard equation, by the way. Right. It's not actually, uh, Neil, isn't that kind of what our problem is that we don't really understand the severity of sin. We water it down because we're sinners looking through sinners' eyes at other sinners, and so we don't see sin with the same severity and offense that God sees sin, and so that's why we tend to go, well, you know, I'm not so bad. Compared to that next guy, I'm not so bad, so I ought to get into heaven. But it's like, no, our point of reference are fellow sinners. Uh, A holy, righteous, and perfect God he takes sin way more seriously than we do, uh, which is why if we don't get how seriously God takes sin, we won't get how big of a sacrifice Jesus really did make on that cross. Well, it's incredible how much God took sin seriously because he ultimately said for the sins that you've committed, collectively speaking to all of mankind, uh, I pronounce the death sentence. Only I'm not going to make you die. I'm going to punish my son instead of you. Um, he took sin very seriously, and so much so that Jesus literally gave his life for us. And as Roger referred to Romans chapter 5, it wasn't while we were just sinners, of course it was, that even though we sinned, and even though he could look forward into human history and see that that we're undeserving, he died anyway. But it also says in verse 10 that we were literally enemies of God. So we weren't just sinners, we were actively working against him. Uh, God's opposed to the proud, he gives grace to the humble. I, I think a lot of this strikes to the heart of the question of pride. Like, who do we actually think that we are? Like, that that we get to call the shots on this? Uh, the other question is, why did Jesus have to die in the first place? And the answer is, because if salvation comes through the law, it says in Galatians 2.21. In other words, if salvation comes by doing good things, like if I keep the law, I'm deserving of salvation, then Christ died needlessly. Obviously, God thought it was necessary for Christ to die so that he could remedy this problem of our sinfulness, our unholiness, and our separation from a holy God. But he went he, he went to the point of even sacrificing his own son to make it possible for us to be forgiven. That's the glorious message of the gospel. It isn't just that we're sinners. No, the good news is that we're sinners that can be saved because of God's unconditional love that he poured out when we didn't deserve it and when we were actively working against him. Hmm. And also, let's not forget, too, blood's the currency God operates in here. Right? The fact yeah. that there was blood shed in the Garden of Eden to cover the sin of Adam and Eve. There had to be blood shed. That's the currency, and there's only one sacrifice. Because look at the sacrificial system of the Jewish community right, right. now. And quite frankly, if you have friends who are Jews, you do, I do, we all do, um, you have to ask the question, why aren't we sacrificing bulls and take stopping every seven steps and let the blood drain out in the street? I mean, I don't know what kind of Judaism they're practicing now, but they're still under the Old Covenant. And last time I checked, the Old Covenant's pretty specific as to mm-hmm. what's going on all throughout what they would consider to be the Bible. But to, to Neil's point, 
I mean, we, we ask the question, I think somewhat rhetorically, why did Jesus have to die? I think the answer is very clear. And then when he has the new covenant that he ushers in it with the Eucharist and what we call the Last Supper and says, look, this blood is the new covenant, you know, in my blood. This, that's what this cup is. And so you're eating my body, you're drinking my blood, uh, you're remembering my death, you're proclaiming that testimony every time until uh, until he comes again. And, and it's one of the pet peeves I have in the watered down churches. How often do you take communion and how do you take communion? You know, I mean, it's one of the two sacraments that the whole church agrees on. I mean, I realize the Catholics have seven, but the, the, it's one, one of the two that we, water baptism and communion. And how do you take it? You know, and it's, you know, I've watched a lot of online churches in the past year, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to do this because it's kind of symbolic and I'm going to read a bunch of Bible verses. And it's, come on, man, be specific. In the night in when he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread. I mean, it's, it's all there in scripture right there for us. I mean, it's very, it's very, very plain. And I think this is a point that we, we need to stress. The idea that sin is awful, it's terrible, it's horrible, as Neil mentioned, it makes us enemies of God. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's just horrific. The older I get, the more I walk with the Lord, and I'm sure you guys feel this way too, the more I am grieved by my sin, and at yeah. the same time, so grateful for what Christ did for me on the cross. Amen. You know, I, uh, Roger, how do, we, how do we explain to people that have a real difficult time with people of different religions around the world and, and the sense that it seems you know, unfair, if you will. You know, here in America, if you're going to seek out God, okay, uh, you're probably going to end up in a Christian church, most likely. Uh, but if you're in Saudi Arabia or if you're in China or if you're in some other country around the world and you seek out some kind of higher power truth or spirituality, if you will, you're probably not going to end up in a Christian church. You're probably going to end up uh, in a mosque, okay, or in a Buddhist temple or something like that. And so you do get people who look at that and say, that doesn't seem fair. They didn't get a fair chance to truly understand who Jesus was because Jesus was kind of a fringe teaching that you hear a little bit about as far as different religions go, but they're immersed in the culture of their particular religion, and so therefore they didn't truly have a fair chance to understand who Jesus was. Uh, that's one of the things that, that triggers people, Roger, to say, well, then maybe they can go to heaven too because they're sincere. Yeah, they might be sincerely wrong, but uh, they're sincere, and God would not be so unfair as to send someone to hell when they didn't really have an adequate opportunity to truly understand who Jesus was. How do you respond to those confusions that people have? Well, they, and they are confusing, let's face it, because as more and more people who profess faith in Christ say, yeah, but you know what, I kind of have this pluralistic view that says, well, I have a buddy who's a Muslim and, well, they're, you know, Mecca and all that. Well, that, that that's fine. You know what I mean? That's, that, that's going to work for them. Uh, basically, as long as there's a godlike figure in your life, some faith is better than no faith. And, and that's uh, the, the American Worldview Inventory at Arizona Christian University talks about that almost extensively with the millennial and Generation Z mentality. How do we counteract that? Well, I mean, Neil brought up the, uh, you know, it's God's desire all men everywhere be saved. I mean, that's first and foremost, you have to understand what the heart of God is. That's not the desire of any other world religion. I mean, when you get right down to it, it's basically it's death to the infidel if you really understand the Quran. Anybody outside of who we are, we're the only way. And so this kind of pluralistic Christianity doesn't even jibe with them first and foremost. Secondly, I, I believe that God is showing himself through his 
true believers to all the world. I mean, I really do believe the whole world is being evangelized in the sense that the true gospel is being presented. The question is, what are people going to do with it? You know, I mean, how many people are really hearing the true gospel that if we are not friends of God, we are enemies of God, and there is no Switzerland. There's no middle ground. There's no timeout. You're not on the bench in this spiritual warfare. You're in it, and you're either mm-hmm. fighting for God or you're fighting against God. That's just that's all there is to it. When you break the gospel down into those terms, people may not want to hear it, but let's not forget, too, God is giving us the words to speak. God has given us the word to proclaim, and God is giving those who have ears to hear ears to hear. So, I mean, it's, it's really, again, that's kind of us not trusting God. I mean, which is directly, right. uh, Martin Luther, that's designed, that was his de- basic definition of sin, is a lack of trust in God. So if we're not trusting God enough to say, okay, God gave me this word to speak to you, whether it's the printed word in the Bible that we all agree on as the canon of Scripture, or the words that God has given me right now to share the true gospel with you, I have to believe that the same Holy Spirit that moved in my heart, that opened my eyes and ears to the reality of my sin and the good news of the gospel, is doing the same thing with you. I mean, and it's not, no one cares about your Christmas pageant. No one cares about your 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 church food driver. And those are all great expressions of God's love. But when it comes to the true gospel in the moment of preaching, in the moment of salvation, in the moment of hearing it, that's all on God's time and all on God's terms. We are merely messengers. Absolutely. Short break. We'll pick up this conversation next year on the National Crawford Roundtable. Learn how to walk the narrow path with Steve Gray. With over 40 years of studying the Bible, Steve Gregg is passionate about teaching you how to apply scriptural wisdom to every aspect of your life. Listen to The Narrow Path on your local Crawford Broadcasting Station or online at thenarrowpath.com. The Narrow Path is 100% listener supported. Please keep this vital ministry going with your generous financial support and let them know you heard about The Narrow Path on the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Continuing the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, uh, Neil Boron, Roger Marsh, John Rush, myself, Bob Duco, of course, discussing this poll showing 70% of born-again Christians say other religions can lead to heaven too. Uh, John, what would you say to somebody? I mean, how do you process that that difficulty that many people have with feeling like it's unfair that that Muslim, that Hindu, that Buddhist, they didn't really get a fair or an adequate opportunity to truly understand who Jesus is. I mean, we can say, look, and I've said this many times, if there's something that seems unfair to me about God, there's one of two options. Either I'm right and he's wrong, or he's right and I'm wrong. I mean, right. it's very binary. There, there, right. there's, there's not a third option of that. So Correct. I accept God is right and I am wrong if something seems unfair to me. But it's still very difficult for people to grasp that reality that it does seem like it's an unfair disadvantage to people around the world that are raised in these different cultures and didn't really have an adequate understanding of who Jesus was and didn't have an apologist basically make the case for Jesus well to them. What do we do with what appears to be uh, an, an unfair disadvantage to those people? Well, and, and maybe it's an unfair advantage. Maybe it's not. On the same token, everyone is accountable for their own actions. Uh, there's been more, as we all know, the Bible's still the best-selling book around the world. Uh, there are literally probably billions of copies now running around the world. The ability for somebody to go get Scripture read it for themselves. The Holy Spirit then does the work. Of course, we don't. There's nothing we do, by the way. There's nothing a preacher does. There's nothing right. we do. The Holy Spirit does that work. And the reality, guys, is even somebody in that world that's raised that way, if they if they just take a moment and start reading through Scripture and do it in a 
in a very you know inquisitive fashion to where they're not doing it. Well, some folks even do it in a, in a in a in an antagonistic fashion and still end up being uh, you know <laughs> being saved when it's all said and done. So I, I should probably be careful how I say that because there's a lot of folks that have gone after it that way that still come out with the blood of Christ you know, all over them and they're going to heaven because they believe the way we do, guys. So I, I don't need to I don't need to do anything in that regard. Scripture can do its own work. The Holy Spirit is more than capable of handling things. And yes, we are all accountable to God. And and the answer that I would have to some of those individuals, guys, is this. I'm not God. It's way above my pay grade. I don't make those decisions. All I can tell you is what Scripture says. I believe Scripture is infallible. I believe it is the Word of God. I believe it's all spelled out. It's actually so simple that a child can understand it. This isn't rocket science. It doesn't take much for people that really delve in and, 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 and go after the meaning of what's there to figure it out. This isn't hard. And by the way, I don't know about the rest of you guys. Bob, I know you. Roger and Neil, I assume. I've read other religions. I've studied other religions. I know what they believe. I know what their mm-hmm. system is like. I know what Mormons believe. I know what Muslims believe. I know what the Jehovah Witnesses believe. I mean, I've studied the others as well. So if I can study what the others are doing, why can't those study what we're doing and figure out what we're talking about right now? I guess that would be the comeback that I would have to those particular individuals because, the, the, again, Scripture abounds. It is worldwide now. There's not a place on this planet, I'm guessing, unless you're in some obscure tribe someplace that, yeah, there probably are some of those that exist. Outside of those, it's readily available, guys. Yeah. And by the way, I would say even if it wasn't readily available, and this is a difficult pill, I think, for a lot of people to swallow, that if, let's go let's go back in time, okay, before there was an internet, but even before the printing press, you still had people of different cultures. Ever since the Tower of Babel, people spread out True. around the world. And so they didn't necessarily have the opportunities, if you will, to to hear about the truth of who Yahweh was in the Old Testament, Jesus certainly in the New Testament. Uh, I don't know how God may reach those people. I don't know how God operates in a timeless sense that he would know who ultimately would have accepted him if Jesus was presented and who would not have anyway. Uh, But the bottom line is, and I guess, Neil, this goes back to what I said before, that we either trust what Jesus says is true or we don't. And if it doesn't make sense to us, if it doesn't seem fair, if we can't answer certain things, I know this sounds harsh, but who are we to question God? Who is the potter and who is the clay? We have limited understanding. And so it does come down to either I'm right and God's wrong or God's right and I'm wrong. And if God uh, says that there are people that are destined for hell— and they didn't really have the gospel presented to them by some Christian apologist who really made a good, compelling case for it, and they thought they had the truth, uh, don't we have to kind of grow up a little bit and say, God is God and we are not, and God has his purposes, and what God says is best and right and good, even if we don't get it or comprehend it now. We will someday in heaven, but if we don't get it now— God doesn't answer to us, and it just seems like that, right. th- that, that's something that people don't want to accept today. I don't, you know, God doesn't answer to me, so it doesn't matter if I feel like it's unfair. 
God says it's fair. God says it's right. God says it's just. And he created us. He created our brains. So we process thoughts according to the programming that God built into our brain. So I don't trust the processing of my own thoughts. I don't trust my own judgment as far as what's fair or not fair when it comes to eternal salvation. I trust what God says. Amen. And we have to, and we have to continue to proclaim that truth, which is why I'm really glad we're talking about this today, because there's, you know, we could just kind of roll our eyes and hump and rump our way through the reality that probe ministries revealed this information about the 70% of so-called born again Christians who believe that other way, uh, you know, other religions can lead to God, etc. But Jesus is the way. And uh, by the way, let me stop for one second and go back to something John Rush said. He's 100% correct. For 2,000 years, the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, except that one week when Bob Duco released his book, Truth, Can You Handle It? Other than that, other than that. <laughs> yeah, by the way, that wasn't me, guys. Did you know that? That's a different Bob Duco? That's a really? different Bob Duco. I kid <laughs> you on. not. Truth, yes, it's a different Bob Duco. <laughs> I interviewed that guy on my show. That's uh, unbelievable. And I'm well, like, there's this only is... one Bob Duco who matters. I, no, no, <laughs> no. no what, what, who the difference is we got to get my top 10 proofs out around the world, okay? That's go. what makes it. There but, we go. But, right. no, no, I know this guy writes a book, Bob Duco. You know, like, so it was, it was surreal interviewing That's... him, but I'm sorry. I, I digress. Go ahead, Neil. Well, in the Bills game last Sunday, Josh Allen sacked Josh Allen, and the Jaguars yeah. upset the Bills. How about that? Anyway, so, um, no, but, you know, Bob, when you were just talking a minute ago, you're like, okay, so God tells us what's real, and then the question is, are we going to believe him? Again, it goes back to Adam and Eve in the garden. God said, if you eat from that, if you, can eat, you can eat from all these trees, including the tree of, the, of, of life, presumably, but that one tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is the one he said, please don't eat from this tree because if you do, you'll die. Now, he didn't force them to eat from it for sure. That was their choice. But he also didn't prevent them from eating from it because he gave them real choice. And in their sin, in their foolishness, which we all have participated in, we were separated from God by sin. And, um, and of course, the entire gospel story is about his effort to redeem us. And because he went to the extent of sacrificing his only son, I personally believe that God, in 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 some miraculous way, makes himself known to every human being on the planet. Romans 1 tells us that he does that even through nature. But, you know, uh, Matthew 24, I think it is, talks about... Um, that you know we're we're not going to see Jesus and the end isn't going to come until the entire gospel has been preached to the whole world. So uh, how exactly that works, I don't know. It, it, here it is. It says the gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. Matthew twenty four fourteen. I don't know if because of satellite technology and the internet and it, that somehow every person will have an opportunity so that they also must give an account of their own decision. But you know I got to be honest here and just throw in the towel on this one point. When you start talking about, like, for instance, the developmentally disabled, let's just say that somebody is born with a disability, unable to comprehend even one plus one equals two, maybe they're nonverbal, you know, who, who knows exactly what's going on. Does God hold them accountable for their understanding of sin and their desire to, you know, accept sin and reject Christ, in other words, or what? I, I, I can't believe in my heart that God... Because he is love, and and he goes to great lengths to make a way that somehow, in some way, that I can't understand and I can't explain biblically, um, that that he makes himself known in those situations and that those people are covered. Mm. I I don't know. I, well, I'm I'll just thrown what, in the towel. 
Let's let's address that, though, on the other side of this break. More of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast next. Dr. Michael Youssef leads the way for people living in spiritual darkness to discover the light of Jesus Christ. This tremendous outreach begins with the proclamation of God's Word through the uncompromising biblical teaching of Dr. Michael Youssef. Leading the Way is here to equip and strengthen the church to stand strong and to advance the gospel in today's ever-changing world. Listen to Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Yusuf at ltw.org slash listen, and be sure to mention you heard about their program on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. Kind of winding down the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, and Neil, to the point that you were making about, what about the mentally disabled person or somebody nonverbal, or, uh, is God going to hold them accountable for, at a minimum, the, the sin of Adam? Uh, and so maybe they don't have the self-awareness to commit sins that we tend to think of today, but uh, if they're still born into sin, will that be enough uh, for them to go to hell? And uh, do they, can they even comprehend Jesus? I, I get, you know, I, I tend to think the way you do, Neil, that it's, it seems like it would be inconsistent to God's loving nature to not give that person a true opportunity to uh, understand and accept Jesus. So I tend to assume that maybe the Holy Spirit communicates with that person's spirit in a way that their brain is not necessarily Mm -hmm. comprehending, or that God knows that if their brain functioned well, whether they would have or would not have accepted Jesus. And so God makes his decision based on that. Or quite frankly, Neil, if... uh, if God says, you know what, bottom line, they can't comprehend Jesus, I've made this decision, the, the sin of Adam sends them to hell anyway, period, it doesn't matter how unfair I think that might be. When we get to heaven, I think we're going to smack our foreheads and go, wow, that sure does seem fair, good, and right now, but it sure seemed unfair, bad, and wrong when I was in my limited uh, earlier body with my limited brain and understanding. You know, the five-year-old child in the dentist chair, there's no words you can speak to him that's going to get him to understand that needle going in my gums really is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's That really is right and just, and mom is doing a loving thing by, having, by holding me down. However, when that uh, five-year-old kid is a 25-year-old adult, they're going to be like, you know what? Now I don't look through glass darkly anymore. Now I realize mom really was doing a loving thing, but there's nothing you could have said that would have convinced me of that then. Uh, even if the ultimate injustice of that person who can't comprehend who Jesus is still ends up deserving hell, uh, I'm like the five-year-old kid in that dentist chair. There's no words you can explain to me that's going to get me to go, hey, that seems right, fair, and just. But I trust God that if that's how it is, that I still trust him because I'm going to get to heaven and say, oh, now I get it. And if that's not how it is and God has some merciful way of, way of reaching that person that we're just not aware of, I trust him in that too. But either way, uh, John, to, to Neil's point, either way, and I know we all agree on this one way or another, Whatever God, however God handles those situations, we either trust him or we don't. Yeah, he, he's the guy making the call. He's in charge. I'm not. Like I said earlier, that's right. way above my pay grade. And when somebody even says, well, you know, do you think so-and-so is, you know, going to heaven or do you think so-and-so is saved? The reality at the end of the day is, guys, I don't know. I, I don't know what's inside of each person's heart. I don't know what their true belief is. I don't know if they're just going through the motions or if they truly do believe the the blood of Christ and salvation in and of that is what is their only way to heaven, or if they're this pluralistic, 
you know, they've got this pluralistic viewpoint on how, how you get to heaven. I, I don't know. I don't know what's inside their heart. I mean, some people can say all sorts of things, and yet their actions don't really support what they say they believe. But again, that is not, is not for me to judge and make that call. Uh, ultimately, when, when, you're, when you've passed away and your soul is on its way to either heaven or hell, uh, God alone is the one making that decision. I have no input. Yeah. Uh, Roger, I want to get your take on this. It, I, I get Neil's heart on this. I do. Because sometimes I have grappled with, look, 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the earth, at that time, you had people over in the Chinese Ming dynasties and whatever that they had no clue who Jesus was. There was no internet. Ever since the Tower of Babel and people dispersed, uh, you had people that were kind of clueless around. And it seems like even the time of Noah's flood, how many people lived outside the regions? Like, what's all this water about? We don't even know. We don't even heard of a guy named Noah, let alone being preached or anything about. It does seem really, really unfair to people that have not had a chance to hear, if you will. Uh, but I, I just, I, I guess I I can't, Roger, I can't get past what it is that I said before. Who cares if I think it's unfair? I have limited understanding. I can't know everything that God knows. So I trust in him. I trust in his word. I don't trust in my own sense of fairness. Yeah, and it, it, it's wise that we don't trust in our own sense of fairness because obviously we're not God and, and we don't have the capacity to think the way he does, to, to be where he is. I was talking with an author the other day who coined a phrase, I, never, I mean, I'd never heard it before, but it probably is there. He said, God is omnipresent and I am unipresent. And it's yeah. a good reminder to kind of think in both terms, in terms of how finite we really are. You know, I, th- I think of two examples in my life as you were talking about people with different needs and uh, different abilities and things like that. When I was first doing my internship, uh, for pastoral ministry, uh, I led a Bible study with a young lady and her dad, uh, Kalina Nath is her name. She was 35 years old and she had cerebral palsy. And she had been able to make it all the way through uh, high school, graduated from regular traditional high school, and was very bright and vibrant and alive. She was completely, you know, just twisted up in knots like people with the CP have. She and her dad had kind of constructed a little card system to where she could blink or point to different words or different phrases. And we had, the three of us had Bible studies together, and it was fascinating because sometimes she'd give me the most sarcastic answers to questions about things I was doing because I knew she was all right there. She was there uh, focused and, and mentally there. She just didn't have the verbal capacity. Um, You guys may not know, but uh, when Lisa and I got married a couple of years ago, I became bonus dad to a daughter with uh, with intermittent intermittent developmental delays uh, my youngest daughter ryan is uh, she'll be 24 next month and she has limited verbal capacity and uh, you know some physical challenges and things of that nature um, it's very interesting though she loves going to church she's a baptized believer in the lord and when she starts acting out which sometimes she will do because she'll kind of revert to more of a childish type of way if her mom says ryan is god pleased with the way you're acting right now you just watch her melt absolutely mm. melt and it brings me to you know when Jesus is confronted by the rich young ruler and says, you know, what's the greatest commandment of the law? And what does he say? Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And we have to trust, especially in that soul capacity as well, that the gospel is being preached to the souls of people who are lost. And we have to believe that the Holy Spirit is working. That's a soul connection that happens. And if that person in the hospital bed who's, you know, kind of catatonic and can't do anything more than blink their eyes is making it that proverbial deathbed confession for the Lord, we have to believe that A, that's happening, and B, it's valid. Uh, 
uh, in Absolutely. the same way that Jesus looked at the thief on the cross and said, today you'll be with me in paradise without being baptized and without taking communion. You know what I mean? So uh, we get right down to it. Um, God has ways that we don't understand, and we just have to trust that his ways are perfect, and he knows exactly what he's doing. Absolutely. Yeah, can, I, can I jump in with a quick story? Sure. I, I had a guy email me just last week, and um, he's a regular listener to my program, and, and uh, he said, that he's, he's gotten a burden in his heart for this guy that he knew who now has Alzheimer's. And he said he's been visiting him, and he's pretty sure the guy is not, you know, this gentleman's not able to really comprehend much of anything, if anything at all. And he said he's not sure that he's a believer. And he, he just innocently questioned me. He said, can I receive Christ for him? Can I pray and receive Christ in his name, in other words, like so that it would count for him? And I said, you know, I, I don't have any understanding of in scripture about anybody being able to do that for anyone else because you know romans fourteen twelve says each one of us will give an account of ourselves to god um but uh i said you know i do remember one time when i was playing college football i got i got my bell rung on a, a particular play i might have even told this story on the podcast a year or two ago and then on the second they said run it again you know we were in practice so, so i got my bell rung a second time and then that i was down for the count by the time they got me into the training room, I had what was called retrograde amnesia. And for about an hour, I continued to lose more and more of my memory to the point where they were saying, you know, what's your middle name? I didn't know. Who's your roommate? I could picture him, but I couldn't say it. What's your mother's name? I don't know. Where are you from? I don't know. I could kind of feel like I should know the answer, but I wasn't able to come up with the answers. The only thing I could tell was that time was moving. I don't think I could have told you what time it was, but I knew that the hand on the clock on the wall was moving and it was scaring me that after an hour, I wasn't able to answer the simplest questions that I knew I should have been able to answer. And just then, a young woman, one of the assistant trainers, walks in. She was wearing a sweater and had a little Holy Spirit pin on it. And I said to her, does that mean the Holy Spirit? I pointed at the pin. And she said, yes, are you a Christian? And I said, yes, I am. Are you? <laughs> and in, what was really bizarre to me was that when I couldn't remember the simplest things, I still knew that I was a believer. And so I told this gentleman, I said, you know, just share Christ with him. Just talk to him. And, and you know, it, it's it's the Spirit of God that bears witness that, with our spirit that we either are or aren't God's children. And maybe God miraculously, in his grace and his glory, can do something far beyond what we can imagine. Because if you think about it, God moved heaven and earth, sacrificed his only son to make it possible for us as rebellious sinners to be saved. He did everything necessary. And, and if you think about it, even while we were rebelling against him and enemies of him, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. We're the ones who sinned. But he hum humbled himself to the point of death, you know, even death on a cross. And um, this was God who laid his life down for us. So if God would go to that length to make it possible for us to know who Jesus is, and by the way, parenthetically, we haven't talked about North America and the 429 Bibles per household we have, and all the podcasts and the TV shows and the televangelists and the churches on every corner, how, how much more account will we in North America have if we've failed right. to see that Jesus is the Christ? But flip that around, you know, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And I believe in his grace and his mercy somehow in a way that you and I, and Bob, you may be 100% right, if, if there is something to this that we're not seeing in heaven, it's all going to make sense. But I think at some point we have to relax from a question like that and just go, God, I know that you've got that under control because look at right. everything else you did to make this possible. And by the way, if I can kind of wrap this up with a, a sure. quick story of my own. 
uh, I was interviewing a, a missionary. I think I may have said this in a previous episode one time, but I was interviewing a missionary to the Middle East who worked with Muslims, former Muslims who are now Christians in the Middle East, places like Afghanistan, Pakistan, and such, working in the underground church. And this person works with just countless hundreds and hundreds of Christians that are former Muslims. And uh, they told me something interesting because I was asking them how they came to know Jesus Christ and you know, how missionaries were able to get there and, and spread the gospel. And this missionary said, you know, interestingly enough, probably about 60% of every former Muslim who's now a Christian that I work with, 60% of them say that no missionary ever made it to them, that Jesus, Isa, appeared to them in a vision or wow. in a dream and revealed the truth of who he was. And I was like, 60%? They said, yes. Uh, then... Uh, probably a couple years after that, I interviewed a completely different missionary who works with the underground church in the Middle East. And I, I didn't tell them what the previous guest told me. I said, I'm just kind of curious, what percentage of the former Christians that you work with in the underground church that converted from Islam, what percentage of them say that they accepted Jesus because Jesus appeared to them in a dream or in a vision during the day even and revealed the truth of who he was? And that person said, mm, probably half to two-thirds, okay? And I, so we have no idea how the Holy Spirit may be busy and active in ways that God doesn't tell us about because he doesn't answer to us. That's right. uh, so th that aborigine that never heard the name of Jesus, we have no idea how the Holy Spirit may be revealing the truth of who Jesus is, how Jesus may be appearing to them in dreams or visions, and also who God may know in a timeless way, who would accept me, who would not accept me, and those that would accept me, I'm going to go ahead and reveal the truth of who I am so that I'm true to my word that Jesus truly is the only way to be saved and you have Amen. to accept him. So I, I we just... It really boils down to, God, you've either got this or you don't. Uh, but I don't, none of us are qualified to be God's committee to make sure that he adheres to standards that make sense to us. Uh, we trust him or we don't. Uh, folks, uh, we always appreciate you spending time with us in these episodes. Again, you can listen to the National Crawford Roundtable podcasts at crawfordmediagroup.net or wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Certainly, we welcome your five-star reviews. We always thank you for those. And John Rush, Roger Marsh, Neil Boron. Guys, always great catching up with you. Look forward to next week. Same here, Bob. Thank you. Yep. Likewise. Thanks, Take care, everybody. God bless. This has been the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Download and subscribe to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more. Apple users can rate the podcast, and we'd appreciate your five-star rating. National Crawford Roundtable Podcast returns with a new discussion each week. Be sure to watch for the notification on your podcast app. This has been a Crawford Media Group production.